One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is this really cool sheep. And uh, let me just kind of tell you the the um, conviction behind the series. And, and we're going to do something just a little bit different today. Um, we're we're going to kind of reset the series as we approach the next five weeks to talk about specific fears that might keep you up. And I know I'll explain that in a minute. But the conviction behind this series is the conviction behind what we're talking about last couple of weeks and for the next few weeks is simply this, that if we're not careful, we can have things creep into our lives. When I say things, we can have anger, anxiety, fear, worry, concern, addiction, guilt, shame, doubt, rejection, creep into our lives that then take over and prevent us from being who God intends for us to be. And if we're not careful, we'll just come to accept it and live with it. I read this week about, it's not a particularly pleasant subject, but I think it illustrates what we're talking about, all right? And it's, it's just two words, but it's two words that can cause the ick factor. I just want to warn you on the beginning, all right? It's toe fungus. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who has toe fungus, um, but the, the, the reality is somebody in this room probably does have toe fungus. And here's what I, I learned about toe fungus, okay? This is going to be more than you want to know, but we're going to get somewhere, all right? Toe fungus is when fungus gets in your toenail, all right? And it creates a hardness and discoloration. And here's the really nasty thing about it. It spreads from one toe to the next. And what people had to do for years was just live with it. But magically, there's been some medicine that's come out that has allowed people to be freed from the pain of toe fungus. But here's the deal. You got to take the medicine for the full amount of time. Now, we all have been told that by the doctors, right? Are you here this morning? Are you here? Right? Okay. Are you just worried about the toe fungus, right? And so, like, you get antibiotic and they tell you, take everything. You're going to feel better and take it. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who do exactly that and normal people, all right? Because the rest of us, we take it until we feel better and then what do we do? We stash it for when we need it later. Don't tell the pharmacist that, all right? Lisa's not in here, is she, all right? So we, so you have to, somewhere, all right? So you have to take it all the way. And they, they say, now I've never experienced toe fungus. I've never had it, thanks to the Lord, right? But they say that you won't notice any difference till like, it's like a 90 day medicine until you get to like day 75. And so you're taking it, taking it, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then there's a breakthrough and it works. Now, here's where the point is, all right? For years, many people just had to live with it like it's just there and not talk about it or mention it or worry about it. And a lot of you in your lives have allowed something to creep in that has spread to various aspects of your life and you've just come to the reality that this is just part of who I am. This is my shortcoming. This is my habitual sin. This is the thing that I can't get a handle on. And you've come to just live with it kind of lingering in your life. And the conviction behind this series is this. That God did not send Jesus to die for our sins in order that we settle for something that is less than his best for us. He did not want you to settle and just say, well, that I, I mean, I've got most stuff kind of licked, but that's a problem, right? And I'm just going to live with that, and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to act like it's not there. I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to just press it down. And yet we live in a way that is not as God-honoring as we could. We settle. 
We just kind of settle into life, we settle into family, we settle into church, we settle into all this stuff. And we, we find different ways maybe even to kind of cover up what we know is in our lives. But we want to just say, you know what, it's not worth dealing with. And we believe that has defeated us. And here's my conviction, that Jesus never intended for us to live that way. He never intended for us to live with a proverbial elephant in the room. And I have scriptural backup on that. John 10.10, 10, one of the most famous verses in Scripture, it says this. The thief, now who's the thief? Satan, the enemy, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, who's I? Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Here's my conviction, alright? The reason we're doing this series is this. Because whatever you are facing in your life that is keeping you up at night, maybe it's not keeping you up at night, but you think about it during the day, or it's preventing you from being exactly who God's called you to be, whatever you are facing is not bigger than Jesus. No matter what you have in your life, no matter what you are facing, no matter what the problem or the difficulty may be, Jesus is better. Jesus is bigger. And you are able to overcome whatever it is because of Him. And so for the next five weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about some of those in big kind of categories. Worry, fear, anxiety, guilt, shame, doubt, rejection, complacency. And we're going to talk about the fact that whatever that is in your life... Jesus wants you to get over it. Now we'll talk about why in a minute, but his goal for you is not to just live like, well, that's just, uh, other people have worse stuff, that's just mine. He intends for you to conquer it. Now, when we did this series, here's what we're going to do today, alright? We're going to kind of hit the reset button. Y'all know what the reset button is, right? You're going along, everything's good, and you just kind of hit the reset and you kind of start over. We're going to look back over the last two weeks to give you three truths, three true statements that must be the thing that guides us through the rest of the series. Today is kind of the prerequisite for all of those things. And my, my, my challenge to you is to listen today, take notes today, think about today, and then as we work through the next five weeks, and here's my, I will give you a guarantee here. If you will come for the next five weeks, I guarantee one of those things will be an issue in your life. If not, I will give you your money back. Now, y'all didn't pay to get in, but we'll give it back, all right? Something's going to hit you, but we have to understand this part of it if we're going to do that. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, where did we start this series talking about how God wants us to overcome those things in our lives? What story did we start with? What, when we talked about how to overcome the giant in your life, what did we start with? David and Goliath, right? And my guess is, if I would have come to you and said, hey, we're going to talk about a story in the Bible that involves a giant, and said, which story do you think we're going to talk about? Almost every single person in this room would have said, David and Goliath, right? Like, you're like, maybe, but what is the catch here? Yeah, right? Because that's the one we know. But did you know there are other giants in the Bible? There are, okay? I'm going to show you, all right? So in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4, I love this. There's some verses here that I want us to look at for a minute, and then we're going to talk about some big picture kind of things. It says, after this, there arose war with the Philistines. Now, here's the thing. The Philistines are the nemesis of God's people. And in the Old Testament specifically, they represent those forces, those things that keep us from accomplishing what God intends for his people to accomplish. 
And so again, they're going to fight again, and they're going to fight at Gezer. Now, that's not an old guy. That's the place they're going to fight, all right? So the Philistines arose with war of the Philistines at Gezer, and then Sibachai, the Hushatite, struck down Sippai. And that's why we don't read these parts of the Bible a lot, right? But if you're looking for names, again, I'm telling you, the Old Testament, I haven't heard a single child named Sibachai lately, right? Sibachai struck down Hushtite the Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants. Now, here's the thing. If you look in your Bible, it may not say this, all right? But it will talk about being a part of a tribe. And the name of that tribe is a tribe of giants. You see, Goliath wasn't just a one freak of nature guy. He had a whole family. And so Sibachai the Hushnetite struck down Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. So another giant rises up. God's people subdue it. Next verse. And there was again war with the Philistines at Ehalon, the son of Jair, struck down like me, the brother of Goliath, that's his actual brother, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So another one, okay? So giant rises up, Goliath rises up, David kills him, another giant rises up, another guy kills him, another giant rises up, Alami rises up, and Jair struck him down. And there was again war at Gath. Where there was a man of great stature, another giant. And this guy is not just any giant. He had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, and for the mathematically challenged among us, 24 in total. You get that? They're adding it up for you, right? And he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, this is really cool to me, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So David's brother didn't go fight the giants, but the kid will because they've seen David. Struck him down. Here's the last verse we're going to look at from there. These were descended from the giants in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his sermons. Of his servants. Or sermons, depending on what you're doing, right? Here's the deal. So, so why is all that in there? Like, like, I'm just one of those guys, when I read something in the Bible, I say, okay, so why is that there? Why, why is God intended for that to be there? In fact, this is in Chronicles, and just so you kind of know a little biblical history, Chronicles is a retelling of 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. It's like an alternate timeline of where, not that things were different, but it says these are things you missed. And so Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Chronicles are like, this is happening at the same time as 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. Saying these are things you miss, and it makes a point to point out these things happen. In fact, it's not the only place that points out a giant. Second Samuel chapter 21 has another giant. So in addition to Goliath, there are four other giants in Scripture that are there. That are all defeated by God's people fighting for the name of the Lord. So why is it there? This is my view of that. It's there to serve as a backdrop for us to realize how to deal with Those things in our lives that are preventing us from following God and doing what he's called us to do. And we're going to draw out of the story of David and Goliath really over the next few weeks. Little parts of it, little bits of it. About what's happening in the story that helps us to face whatever it is. And it seems like a big jump all the way from David and Goliath in the valley there. Fighting with a sword and a spear and with a slingshot. To you facing some addiction you've got or guilt or shame or loneliness or fear of rejection or anxiety or worry. But what God wants us to understand, the principles that led David to the victory over the giant are the same ones that lead us to victory over whatever it is in our lives. And so today we're going to look at three, three important things for us to go that are prerequisites for us as we move forward to talk about 
what God intends for us to do. And the first one is the first is the point that I made two weeks ago, but I just want to reiterate it and move us forward. And the story of David and Goliath, you remember the story, right? We don't need to retell the whole thing. David goes out every day, and as he's there, or he gets there, every day Goliath is coming out for 40 days and saying, hey, who's going to challenge me? Who of Israel is going to challenge me? I don't believe your God can do anything. Your God's not worth anything. And they all just sit there, and they shake in their boots. It literally says they shake in their boots. They're worried to death. And then David walks up and like, why is somebody not taking this guy on? He walks out, takes a slingshot, shoots him in the head, cuts his head off, shows it to everybody, and they win, right? Right? That's it, right? Okay. Three things real quick out of that story. First of all, and we said this a couple of weeks ago, but it's important for us to talk about for a moment. We are not David in the story. It's one of those things that sometimes, um, you ever buy something at the store and immediately regret buying it? Anybody ever do that? Like you walk out of the store and you're like, why did I do that right? Or you ever eat a meal and think, I really shouldn't have done that, right? Okay. Well, there are Sundays that I preach a sermon and I walk out and I'm like, why did I say that and not this? I have sermon remorse, okay? And one of the sermon remorse things I've had is not spending a little bit of time, more time on this. Because here's the problem, when you're covering 50-something verses of Scripture, it takes a little while, Right? I feel like I got to the end of that and we kind of rushed through this. And so we're going to camp here for just a minute because this is, this is vitally important for us to realize. You see, even Christian books, sermons, maybe sermons I've preached, sometimes you'll hear a sermon and it sounds like what you're saying is God is calling you to be David and to gather up your stones and to run out into the battlefield and take on the challenges and just do what God calls you to do. But in the story of David and Goliath, we are not David. Jesus is. And the reason that's important is because we have to understand, God is not calling you to just get all your stuff together, get your stones together, run out to the battlefield and throw it at your stone and defeat it in your own power. Jesus has already defeated our biggest foe. And it is his job to fight for us, not our job to fight for him. If you listen, even David recognizes that, right? When he walks out into the valley and Goliath is there and Goliath says, what are you doing out here, puny little kid? Why are you out here? This is ridiculous. And he says to Goliath, does he say to him, I'm going to kill you because I'm strong and I'm going to take care of this? What does he say? No, he says, the Lord has delivered you into my hands. The Lord will fight for me today. This is the Lord's battle, not mine. God is fighting for me. Now, now this seems like a subtle little difference, but can I tell you something? When you are facing fear and anxiety and worry in your life over how your kids are going to turn out, over what they're doing, over what's happening with your finances, over what's going on in your life at work or at career or just busyness and all that's happening, when you're worried about that in your mindset, if you are David in the story, you're going to schedule it, you're going to work it out, you're going to try to control it, you're going to do all the things that you can do to try to manipulate it. But when you trust that God is the one who is fighting the battle for him, it allows you to rest in the promises of God and to trust him in the midst of the battle. And that is significantly different than I'm going to go run out and take it on myself. Can I just be real? We're going to talk about some big kind of picture ideas over the next five weeks. I'm just going to be real blunt with you. You're not going to defeat it on your own. This week I was thinking about this. I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if anybody even here even looks at or thinks about Time Magazine much anymore. You know, magazines are kind of gone. But the cover story of Time Magazine caught my attention this week. And here's the reason. When the secular world starts to realize that something is a problem that needs to be addressed, that is causing major harm 
to our society, we as a church ought to pay attention. And the cover of Time Magazine this week is on how we have lost a generation or two or three to the epidemic of porn. And can I just tell you something, and I'm just going to be real frank and honest here for a moment. We, we don't talk about this kind of stuff in church nearly enough because we think if we don't talk about it, it somehow doesn't happen. And the statistics tell us that it is happening everywhere, all the time, Christian, non-Christian. The average, well, we got youth in here, the average age for someone to see porn these days is 11 for the first time. 11. If you're here and you're struggling with that, you are not going to win the battle on your own. It is an addiction. It has sunk its tentacles into your life. It's not going to happen. If you're here and you worry all the time about how money's going to come and how it's going to impact and where can I get more money and how can I get that and how can we have this and that and I don't know how we're going to make it this month. If worry and fear and anxiety are wrecking your lives, you're not going to win that battle on your own. That's not what the story of David and Goliath is all about. You just get your stones together. Get the word of God and prayer and you go fight it on your own. Take it out. It could be nothing further from the truth. We're not David. If we are David in this story, if there's any way we are David in this story, it's when David is trying on Saul's armor, except we don't realize that's not what we need. And we're out there trying to fight a battle in clothing and armor that is ill-prepared for what is really happening. We're going to talk about guilt and shame and addiction next week. We're going to talk about that issue. We'll probably bring that issue up again. Probably bring up that thing. And so some of you, some of you that are dealing with that may mean you don't want to come. Let me just tell you, you need to be here. You need to hear it. You need to be around it. Because God's plan is not for you just to say, well, everybody's doing it. That's just a part of my life. The first thing we see in that David and Goliath story is simply this, that we are not David. Jesus is. The second thing we see is, this was really last week, but it also goes to that week, is that our goal, our motivation for change must be the glory of God. This is something that just hit me this week as I was thinking about the David and Goliath story again. David's life is not in danger at all when he chooses to take on Goliath. You ever thought about that? He's not in the army. He's not fighting. He's not even conscribed. He's not even drafted. He's not told he has to go out there. He's not a part of the official unit that's there. He's there delivering lunch. Right? His dad sent him. He could have easily walked out there. He's like, what is going on here? That, that guy, Goliath, is, ooh, that's a big dude. I'm like, oh, head back to the pasture. Got some sheep I got to take care of. It's not his responsibility. So what motivates him from not his responsibility to, I have to go fight this guy if nobody else will? It's when Goliath stands out there and he hears him blaspheme and talk bad about the God whom he serves. The God who has lived with him in the pasture. The God has anointed him as the next king. The God he has written songs about while he is watching sheep. The God that he has an intimate relationship that he knows, that he loves, that he cares about. When Goliath steps out and says, your God is nothing, David says, I cannot stand for that. We understand this. I mean, you say something bad about me, I get upset, I get mad. You say something about my wife, you say something about my kids, it's go time. Like, you're not doing that. You're not disrespecting my wife, you're not going to disrespect my kids. It's different when you talk about me, but you talk bad about them, and we're going to have serious issues. That's the way David is about the fame of the Lord. He walks out there and he's like, listen, if he's just yelling at me, that's not a big deal. But you're letting him defame our God. 
And here's the thing about all the stuff we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, all right? All those issues we're going to talk about, the addiction and the fear and the anxiety and the worry, rejection, complacency, all those things we're going to talk about. The reason God wants to set you free from that is not just so you can be set free. That happens. But the reason God wants to set you free is because it is inhibiting your ability to give full praise and glory to the God who has saved you. You see, we get it twisted around sometimes. We go to God and we're like, God, listen, I've got this real issue here. Man, I'm struggling in this area. I'm really struggling here. If you could just, uh, if you could just set me free from that, that'd be really cool. Like, I need your help with that. If you could just come and you could help me and we could set this free, then I'd be done with that and that'd be really cool. What God intends is not that. What God intends is for us to go, hey, Lord, man, I got this issue and um, it is preventing me from being the person that you intend for me to be. And for be able to fully give my life to giving you praise and honor and glory. And if I could help you, because you, you're the one that's going to do the work. If I can help you to get this out of my life, then I can give all that I've got to glorifying your name. Lord, I'm struggling in the midst of this sin. I'm struggling in the midst of this anxiety. I'm struggling in the midst of this worry. Lord, if you could... It is demoralizing me. It, it, it is talking back to me. It, it is letting me always know that I am under its control. It, Lord, it is demoralizing me, but more than that, God, it is diminishing your glory. David, you hear it when he confronts Goliath, right? Goliath comes out on the battlefield and he says, he comes out on the battlefield and he says, Hey, uh, David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you today. And your God is going to prove that your God's nothing. David just loved God and he, he knows who his God is. And he looks at Goliath. And I, I love this. You can almost hear him kind of in the background thinking about all those days in the pasture and getting to know God and all that's happened. And I can almost hear him saying, this isn't in the scripture, this is Lyle's speculative understanding, all right? But he's like, Goliath, hey man, you're you're big dude, like really big dude, like really big. Have you looked up to the heavens lately? Because like there are like billions of stars up there and... You know, what I was just singing the other day in the pasture was, God, when I look into the heavens and I think about all the stars, I wonder what man is that you even think about him. See, Goliath, you're a big dude, like a really, really big dude. But here's the thing. The God that I serve made you. He's a lot bigger than you. And as big as you are, I mean, you're a big dude. I got that. But you're not bigger than my God. And what he's done is provided me with the strength to destroy you. And I love it just because one of the things is, if you want to be... Here's what I'll tell you, okay? If you want to be on the side of God, if you want to be doing what God intends for you to do, always be defending His glory. One of the stories that I love in Scripture is this time they had this battle against, anybody want to guess who the Israelites are fighting? Philistines, right? They're the bad guys, right? They're fighting the Philistines. It was in a valley, and they're getting ready to fight. They're on both sides. They're getting ready to fight. And some of the priests go, man, i got a cool idea. Hey, listen, y'all know that ark we got? Like, the ark that's supposed to be God's protection, God's providence, that when we have the ark, we win. Hey, we're going to go get the ark. We're going to bring it. And so they go and get the ark. They carry it on the poles, and they set it down in the riverbed, and they put it in front of them. And all the Philistines are kind of like, whoa, that's, wait a minute. That's their ark. But here's the deal. God had not told them to do that. And so God did not protect them. And the Philistines routed them. And they take the ark. And in those days, when you took someone's representation of their God, it was like you had destroyed their God. And so they take the ark. And they put it in the temple. And the temple they put it in is for one of their gods. Their god's named Dagon. And they put it right at the foot of this huge statue. Very tall statue. And they put it there and said, like, this is 
our God and your God is kneeling at his feet. They feel real good about themselves. They shut the doors of the temple. They go out, go have a party, celebrate their big victory, get up the next morning. And as they get there the next morning, their God is now face down in front of the ark. They're like, well, that's probably not good. And then one of the greatest lines in scripture says, and they set their God back up. If you have to pick your God up, something is wrong. Okay. Like here, let let me help you a little bit. All right. Let me, let me go. So they set their God back up. It's like, man, it must have been an earthquake we didn't feel. There must have been something strange happened last night. So we're, we're going to do this all again. And they shut the door and they go home. They get there the next morning. And in the middle of the night, not only is Dagon now on the ground, but the head has been chopped off and the hands have been chopped off. And they've been laid on the ark and the head is laying right at the threshold of the temple. They're like, I didn't hear any stone cutters come in last night. And their next thought is, let's get this thing out of here. You see, God is about defending his honor. And the reason he wants you to be free from addiction is not so you can just be free from addiction. That's important. But he wants you to be free so that your life can be a testimony of his grace and his glory. And here's the last thing, and then we're going to be done. All right? Y'all are going to be happy to know I actually had a part two of this sermon. We're not going to get there. Maybe not happy, but we'd be here a long time if we did. Here's here's the, the last thing. But we must understand, your giant, whatever it is, is already dead. I love it when Goliath comes out and he looks at David and he says, Hey David, you know what I'm going to do with you today? I'm going to take you and I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds because I'm going to kill you. And I love David's response because David responds in a way that has complete confidence in God. He says basically, God's going to deliver you into my hands. I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to deliver you to the birds and everybody over on that other side to the birds. Now, here's what's interesting is the way David says it in Scripture, he speaks of a future event as if it has already happened. And in Scripture, the only way you can speak of a future event as if it's in the past tense is when you are trusting and doing what God has called you to do. Because the only one in the universe that can speak of a future event as if it's already happened is God. It may take you a minute to get that, all right? And when David looks at the giant, he says, it doesn't matter. You're dead. Like, it's over. And that's why, when we talk about this gruesome detail, right? When he hits him with the stone, he goes up, he pulls the, the sword out and cuts his head off, right? Hope that was one good clean cut. Pulls his head off, right? And picks it up and shows it to the other side. Why did he show it to the other side? It says, he says, the giant is dead. Your king, or not king, but champion is dead. And here's the thing you have to understand. The reason we sing about Jesus paid it all, the reason we sing Jesus is better, is because what happened on the cross when Jesus died for our sins, and then he paid the price on that cross for our sins, and rose again from the grave, he said, your sin, for those of you that have trusted in Jesus, for those of you that have followed him, for those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, your sin, the biggest giant you will ever face, has been defeated and is dead. And you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Okay. Then why do I struggle every day with this sin? I heard a story this week that I loved, absolutely loved. One of my heroes of the faith, one of the guys that I listen to a lot, one of the guys that I follow a lot, has had a huge impact on my life. He's a guy named Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio grew up in the Atlanta, Georgia area. He actually grew up in a church called First Baptist Church Atlanta. 
pastor there was a guy named Charles Stanley who's still on TV. Charles Stanley's son, Andy, was Louis's best friend. And Louis and Andy together have done about as much as two friends can do for the glory of God in a generation, as you can imagine. But Louis um, was telling this story about the fact that when they used to go to summer camp with First Baptist Atlanta, when you got to be a senior in high school, freshman or sophomore in college, you got to be camp counselors, and you got to go to camp early to get the camp ready. And he said at that particular time in the early 70s, they would go to Hilton Head, South Carolina to camp every year. Now he said, whatever you do, get out of your mind what Hilton Head, South Carolina is today. Because it was not that then. It was jungle, forced. And he said that we went to a Presbyterian camp there, and they would send these group of, of high school seniors, college freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, and your job was to go prepare the camp for the upper elementary, middle school, early high school, late high school, that would for the next month and a half come to camp. He says, so when you got there, you had to make sure the beds were ready, you had to make sure all the things were set up, you had to make sure all the, they had somebody from staff there making sure all the settings were there for food and all that stuff. He said, but one of your biggest jobs was to get the camp ready by getting rid of what was already there at camp, particularly snakes. He said, because those woods were infested with snakes. And so he said, you know, we would put, we'd put lime out around the cabins. There was a certain area where the snakes liked to congregate that they would go and they would try to put some stuff out to kind of scare them away. He said, but in our 18, 19, 20 year old minds, we thought there was another thing that needed to happen. And so every night we would go out thinking that in order to really show these snakes who was boss, we needed to kill a few of them to let their friends know we meant business. Okay. He said, so every night, about 10 to 12 of us, he, Andy Stanley, other guys would go out. He said, we were probably out there in shorts and tennis shoes, completely ridiculous, and they would go hunt copperheads. He said, this is how we hunted copperheads. He said, we'd go with a flashlight in the left hand and a baseball bat in the right. That's it. He said, you go out in there, and he said, you'd be walking around, and he said, literally within five to ten minutes, he said, you'd split up, because he said, we're, we didn't think we needed each other's help, we were out here on our own. So he'd, he said, maybe a couple of you be together, you'd see one slither in the ground, you'd spot it with your flashlight. He said, the first thing you did was you looked all around you to make sure that brother or sister wasn't around, because that's not good. He said, and then you would pinpoint the thing, you would take that baseball bat, and you would hit that head as hard as you can hit it. Multiple, multiple times. He said you would beat the head until you could not see where the head began and the dirt ended. He said and then you would hit it some more. Right? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today, right? He said and then when it had been beaten completely to where it was in the ground almost, you would take your foot and you would step on the right at the back of the head and you would take the tail and you would... Snap it off. Cut it off any way you could. Then you'd bury the head. Put dirt over it, bury the head, move it, smooth it back over. And then he said, I don't know why we did this. Probably because we were 18, 19, 20 year old guys. We would then carry around the rest of the body for the rest of the night. Kind of like trophies. And Louis said, by the time you got to the end of the night, he said, we would have literally 10 to a dozen snake bodies carrying around. And he said, here's what would happen. You'd be walking around and you got your flashlight and your baseball bat and you got those wrapped on your arm carrying around. You got the bat on your shoulder. He said, while you're looking for it in the dark of the night, suddenly one of those, because if you don't know if you know this or not, but just because you cut the head off of a snake doesn't mean the body stops moving. Right? Some of you are going to need counseling after this. I know it's all right. (laughs) 
He said, but as you held it, (laughs) all of a sudden you'd feel something start to move on your arm. And he said, in your mind, you're like, I I saw it. I beat its head till I couldn't recognize it. I I snapped it off of the body. I buried the head. I remember all of that. He said, but you'd have to remind yourself over and over again, the snake is dead. Those things in our lives that keep us up at night are like those decapitated snakes. Jesus has killed them. Jesus has won the victory. But that doesn't mean that there's not still some life left in that body. Kind of continuing the snake thing. If you walked out in your backyard and saw this, wouldn't that be fun? No, it would not. It would not be, right? It was a rattlesnake, right? Rattlesnake's one of the most venomous snakes in the world. Somebody told me after the first service, it's illegal to kill rattlesnakes and copperheads in Tennessee. If I saw one, I'd have to break the law. I'm just going to be honest with you. All right? If I had to, or I, here's the truth. If I saw one, I'd call somebody to come to my house to break the law. Is what I would do, all right? Okay. And so, rattlesnake. And so, if you found one of these in your yard and not using Louis Giglio's primitive method of a baseball bat and your shoe, if you did the old-fashioned method, which is a shovel or a garden hoe, right? And you chopped off that head, all right? Let's just imagine that happened. You finally got it off, heads off, tails, you know, and you just think, I am so creeped out, I'm going to leave that there. I cannot worry about it right now. Okay? Which is not, that's not that far-fetched, all right? And you walked away and didn't think about it for two months. You're walking in your backyard one day, and you accidentally step on the exposed fang of the rattlesnake. A, it's going to freak you out. B, it's going to hurt. And C, The poison is still there. The moral of that story is get rid of the snake once you kill it, right? But our sin can be like that. When we mess around with it, the venom is still there. The reason I talk about snakes a little bit, because I think it's interesting, that that's the very example that's used from the very beginning of Genesis to talk about Jesus eventually overcoming the enemy. The enemy will bite his heel, but a descendant will do what? Crush his head. Now, I don't think it necessarily took a baseball bat in a camp in South Carolina. But the point is, our giants, our enemies, those things that keep us off, they're already dead. And over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about some big ones, okay? Some big things. But every one of them is smaller than Jesus and what he's already done for you. And the victory is already there. We just have to realize it and claim it in Christ. Now this is not a name and claim it. I'm going to tell you next week how to get a thousand dollars. But there is victory because of the blood of Jesus. Now there's a prerequisite. You know what a prerequisite is, right? You're going to take a, co- you're going to take a course in college. You're going to take calculus too. Before that you have to take what? Calculus one, right? All three of these things that we talked about today, that Jesus is the hero of the story, not us, that it's for God's glory, not for our own, that our motivation is God's glory, and that the, the giant is already dead. The prerequisite to that being true in your life is you must already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You must know God and not know about him. And one of the most difficult things for people to do, especially those of you that come to church, is to answer the question, do I really know God or do I just know about him? Because see, the power of Christ is only available to those who are following Jesus that have been accepted, that have accepted his forgiveness, that have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. Other than that, 
You are fighting the giants on your own in vain. And if you're here today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know if you know God, then what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks will make no difference in your life. Because it is only through His power that we can truly conquer those things. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. My guess is, here's the thing, my guess is, as I started talking about giants in your life, I started talking about problems in your life, fears that keep you up at night, you didn't have to think for 30 minutes, or 5 minutes, or even a minute about those things. They automatically came up. They automatically just were there. And so maybe it is today, you don't need, hey, you know what, I'm not going to wait till the pastor addresses it. I want to begin to live in that victory right now. I want to begin to talk about it. I want to understand what that means. And so today you want to come and you just want to pray here at the front. Lord, help me to see that you've already won this battle. Help me to see that it is diminishing my ability to give you glory. Help me to see that I can follow you in the midst of this. Be open. Maybe you're here today and you've never taken even that prerequisite first step of giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can't face anything in your life. And this, this morning, for the very first time, you want to do that. I'll be standing up front. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here, you've been visiting for a little bit or this is your first time. And you say, you know what, I don't know why, but this is the place God is placing me. This is the place that he wants me to grow in knowledge of who he is and knowing him. So that I can live more productively for him. So I can live for his glory. Maybe right now is the day, the time when you want to come and join First Baptist Church. Maybe you want to be baptized. We've had two baptisms today. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in that since you've been saved. Maybe you were sprinkled as a child or baptized as a child. But since you made that decision for yourself, you have never followed in baptism. And today you say, I want to do that. I want to follow Him. I'm just going to ask you to respond however the Lord leads you to respond. Let's pray together.